I think this is one of the topics that you kind of think, you know, there's certain things that you think you kind of have under control and you understand it, and then the Lord humbles you. And then you realize there's actually quite a bit going on that uh, even though I've been a believer for a long time, I think I had a few misunderstandings here when it came to church leadership and in particular with elders. So it was, uh, it was a good, good week one that we got to learn. Um, maybe we'll go ahead and, and uh, just bow in some prayer and then we'll get started. Our Father God, we are honored that we can have a Sunday evening centered around your word, centered around important things for Ranch View Baptist Church and each one of us. We pray, Father God, that uh, you'll allow us to stay focused, be able to learn what you would uh, want us to learn. Pray that um, what is presented, Father God, brings you glory, and if uh, where there's error, that um, you'll make that clear to me and to each one of us. But in the areas where it shows that uh, we have obedience of our own that we need to stay focused on, we pray, Father God, that we don't rely on ourselves. We pray that, that uh, any of our church leaders, that they don't rely on themselves, but they rely on the Holy Spirit and be led for you. We just pray for overall wisdom, and most of all, we just ask for forgiveness in all the areas that um, we let uh, sin sneak in and obedience to Go further and further away in some key areas. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you may know Todd Friel, and he may be kind of an odd one to uh, bring up and quote, but I think I am going to start with him. Anybody know who Todd Friel is? Frequency Tall. Okay, that's Frequency Tall, and um, runs a great company called Wretched, which you have to wonder why he picked that name. Uh, does a lot of things on theology. Does, um, he also used to be a stand-up comic, so he's kind of funny. He's very entertaining, but he talks about very serious things. But Todd Friel said, the qualifications for an elder or deacon matches what a mature Christian is called to be. And that was something that really stood out to me this week as I was digging in deeper. You know, a lot of times I've, I've looked at these verses those in Titus as well, they kind of match, and kind of think of them as being for church leaders. When in reality, when you look at it, that really it has to do with mature Christians, which then, if you look at it that way, that means you and I have the same responsibilities that we're going to be talking about tonight, except for maybe one, and that would be um, teaching, and we'll talk about that, why that is. But... Um, Really, as we look at this, one thing is really clear, that between when you look at elders and deacons, and we're only going to get through the elders portion tonight, when you look at elders and deacons, the truth is they're the same qualifications except for one. Uh, they might have it worded just a little bit differently, but when you get into the true meaning of it, you're going to find that deacons are also called to that, although the functions are very different of an elder versus a deacon. So I, I find that pretty interesting, but I think it's very clear we're supposed to have in any positions within the church that are uh, elder or deacon that they are to be mature Christians. And that's very important. 
As we venture through the early part of Paul's letter and as we've been going through on the Sunday evenings here, we realize the church at Ephesus had many issues, many problems. At first, it appeared that we we're going to be focused just on the false teachers, which is important, critical. But in reality, there are a whole lot of other issues. And what it really boiled down to is it boiled down to poor leadership. And we had the proliferation and unruliness of false teachers. We were reminded that Christ alone saves sinners. Can you imagine being in a church and having to be reminded of that basic formula? which shows you how quickly false teachers can cause some problems. Responsibility of prayer to all leaders and to all men, that that is our responsibility. It's not one of the things that we can occasionally do. We're told, if we're going to be obedient, to be praying for all men. It's very painful, if you recall, because it even says even politicians and leaders that we may not agree with in principle, we still certainly agree with them that they are men or women who need to be saved. And so um, that certainly was a responsibility. Then last week we talked some about the responsibilities of women and the roles in the church. Made it very clear that that is a very controversial issue, but it doesn't need to be. And it's interesting because we're gonna find out today, it doesn't have to be controversial when it comes to the woman's role in the church as long as men are doing their job. And if men aren't doing their job, we're being unfair to the women in our church. And sometimes things need to be done. So those are just some things to kind of keep in mind as we keep going now. Paul then leads us to the obvious realization that existing church in Ephesus needed individuals and behavioral leadership change for the well-being of the church and its members. So here in 1 Timothy 3, we get some excellent guidelines for leadership, and positions in the church. It's worth noting that Titus 1, 5 through 9 reveals some of the very same things we're going to be going through here if you like to go and check other portions of scripture. And then Christian leadership that matters grows out of leaders who believe that the gospel is true and that's paramount. So in the future when we're selecting leaders we want to make sure that it is men who have a huge conviction on the gospel. And before you think and say, well, that's kind of simple, Gary. Well, I think I've mentioned to you before some of the greatest minds in Christianity about three or four years ago got together to answer the question, what is the gospel? And they couldn't come up with an answer. And if I told you the names of the people in that group, you'd say, you're kidding. So first of all, we need to make sure we understand what the, what the gospel is and make sure that we have men in leadership positions that do. And the fact that the gospel matters. These are men who should have a burning desire for the gospel. They share it with others. They, they have, they're, in, they're almost overtaken by the gospel not getting out as much as it should, whether they're doing it or any of us, which is again comes back to our responsibility. And at most, must, the gospel must expand, and it also must continue. So there's a war, there's a fight going on. We need men in leadership positions to deal with those things. Leader, leaders must believe the gospel with conviction, that the gospel must be told also with conviction, and the stewardess of the, of the church must be done with conviction. 
There's a common denominator here. We need men of conviction that believe that it goes from start to finish that the gospel is critical, not just on Sunday mornings, not just on Sunday evenings or whenever we happen to gather, but that it is part of our, our whole life. Leaders need a Christian worldview. Do you all know what a worldview is? Okay. And what we're talking about here, that's the framework for our leaders' thoughts, decision-making, and way of analyzing issues. It's all done from a Christian perspective. And sometimes what happens is churches select individuals who are leaders of organizations and other things. And while they have leadership styles, they may not have a worldview in how they will make decisions. And so that's really key. There also must be a robust and rich model of Christian thinking from any leaders in our church. The quality of thinking that accumulates is a God-centered world view. Not God's, the Bible and other things, but that is totally God-centered. Requires that our leaders see all truth as interconnected because God is the author of truth. That's where all truth comes from. And we need mature men that understand that. Now, when I say we need mature men, we're talking about elders and deacons right now, which has been uh, commanded for uh, at least in the elders' position for that to be men. Very controversial when you bring it up on, on uh, deacons. Um, we, don't need, we won't be going into that tonight because I don't want to be mugged, but, but I do have my own thoughts that we may cover next week on that. The task of bringing every thought captive to Christ and the task of the church leaders, and it should be our concern. We should be very concerned if, in fact, we're allowing men, and we're, we're looking, as Roma mentioned this morning, we could use an elder or two. We could use an elder or two for one thing, for the relief of Roman. <laughs> That's one reason. But also in addition to that, it also is a good checking point, and men are maturing together in the leading of the church. Well, notice in our text, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Andy, you might kind of turn that if you don't mind. 1, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Are you already there? So look at you. Now, Paul doesn't focus much on the function of elders and deacons, but on character traits. Each one of those character traits, I want you to first think of leaders but secondly, I want you to think of yourself and every one of them because you're going to find they're nothing more than what Todd Friel was pointing out. It's mature Christians. You know, with that, by the way, when it comes to uh, an elder or a deacon's um, character traits include actions, feelings, and their interaction with others. All those are important and key when it comes to that. So, Andy, if you wouldn't mind, would you please read 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. It is a trustworthy saying. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a good work. An overseer, then, must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, sensible, respectable, hospitable, Sold well, having his children in submission with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to lead his 
not called into reproach by the snare of the Thank you. As we dig into this, there is a book that if you're interested in leadership, it's one that's uh, uh, The Conviction to Lead by Al Mohler. Very, very good book. It has some excellent, uh, as a matter of fact, I was half tempted of kind of just listening to the titles that he has in there. It's a wonderful book on leadership. So um, as you know, I like to point out different things on either where I got some information putting together what we're talking about tonight, or even for your own study. So I definitely would recommend some of you, and particularly uh, any of you that may be thinking about having an interest of being either a deacon or an elder, that that would be a good read. It's important to notice from what Andy read that the only significant difference between an elder and qualifications and a deacon, which by the way are in 8 through 13, verses 8 through 13, same chapter, is an elder must be skilled at teaching. Now, we can understand with what was going on in Ephesus why this was so important, because the men had snuck in there who were, in fact, they were skilled at teaching, but they were skilled at false teaching. And so it doesn't mean that somebody's good in front of a crowd, that somebody can make people laugh, or somebody who can go, oh, I can't wait to hear him. No, we need to have men who are espousing truth. And truth is not always fun to hear. And as you go through and you start thinking about why well, like this speaker or that speaker, make sure you like that preacher or that teacher because of the truth that they explain instead of the entertainment they may provide. When it comes to elder selection, it is the church's responsibility to measure the man and confirm that he lives up to God's standards that are found in what um, was just read. Note each, and each church does it different. I did a whole study on that, had it in for this evening, and I needed to take stuff out. So I had the different kinds of church leaderships, and I thought it's not really important because we have our, our form of leadership, which I believe I'm correct in saying that we're elder-led. Is that fair? And being elder-led, that means we need to make sure, and even a little bit more responsibility on you and I, that when an elder is presented, that you make sure you just don't go, I'll let somebody else take care of that. No, each one of us, before God, we should go to them, pray, and make sure that the individual lives up to these standards. Now, the flip side of that is they are not to be perfect, and that becomes a real problem, and also... As we have elders, we only have one, so picking on Roman for a minute, if Roman doesn't suit you what you think is right on one area, that's not enough to get rid of an elder, all right? We're all growing, we're all maturing in different areas in our walk, but we should see a trend in these areas. That's what we want to look for. Now, I know we were talking about being a mature believer, but mature believers sin too. I don't know if you knew that, but they do. And so don't use this as a hammer to hit any leaders, or, uh, whether elders or deacons, at our church because this isn't quite up to what you think it ought to be. But we do want to see, again, a direction and somebody who is, who is humble, a leader who is looking forward to serving others and serving God. Note each trait that we're going to cover is also our personal responsibility. And elders are not Christians, uh, are not super Christians. 
and I think that's where some confusion comes in sometimes too. But they should be mature Christians. So we'll go through some of these and see exactly what's there. Some of these can be very familiar to you. I think there might be a thing or two I mentioned that at least might get you thinking a little bit. And again, let's be thinking of elders, deacons, and then over here, thinking about ourselves. How do we line up? It's necessary an elder has sustained a reputation for being blameless. Wow, that's a tough one. That is really tough. Uh, must be above reproach. In other words, a man of undeniable character. Now, this does not mean you haven't had a problem with this person. Okay, that doesn't mean that you didn't like the way that this person did one thing or another, but again, the trend of their life. Do they appear to be blameless? Do they appear to doing, uh, they are in the spirit, they are growing. The qualifications that follow will define in more details and illustrate what that looks like, by the way. This will be explained in all the other attributes that are brought up, or several of them. Church leader's life cannot be mangled being an attitude, habit, or incident. And so the standard's high. The standard's high. But again, just because we don't like the way a person smiles, or, wow, I walked by them and they didn't say hi to me today, doesn't mean that, boy, get them off the list. Get them out of leadership. You're going to see that's not what we're to be evaluating. The devil will hit a leader hard to undermine their integrity. And keep that in mind when we have men who are first in these positions be praying for them. They are spiritually attacked differently and harder sometimes than we are. They, can, they are up against a lot more. And it can be simple things, things we probably wouldn't even credit to the devil, but it is. And I found that to be true. Doing these on Sunday night, he hits me every week. And I'm going, wow, I haven't been hit like this before. Why is this happening? And so we want to be the prayer st uh, structure for our leaders. Le leader will have to be ready with a solid Christian foundation, including a regular commitment of their own to scripture, reliance on God with a passion for prayer, and healthy fellowship. They should have these elements. He must be a model of godliness so he can be an example for those in the church. But again, not perfect. Philippians 3.17 says, Brothers, this is Paul speaking, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. That's the church leaders. And church leaders need to understand that they are in a glass bubble. And I can assure you, just because I've been around for a long time, sometimes church leaders get ridiculous things brought to them that really shouldn't be happening. One is, you know, our clock is five minutes fast in back of the room. We're supposed to be accurate, Roman. Why isn't that perfect? Uh, you know, we can come up with the most silly things that we think matter. And they really don't. Now, there is a Richard Baxter from the Reformed Pastor. If you'd like to read some things from uh, old reformers, he's very, very good. But here's something he said about leaders. This is really directly to leaders. Take heed to yourselves, lest you live in those sins which you preach against in others. 
unless you be guilty of that which daily you condemn. Will you make it your work to magnify God? And when you have done, dishonor him as much as others? Will you proclaim Christ's governing power and yet condemn it and rebel yourself? Will you preach his laws and willfully break them? O brethren, watch therefore over your own hearts, keep out lust and passions and worldly inclinations. Keep up the life of faith and love and zeal. Be much at home and be much with God. Again, that was Richard Baxter. If you followed what I read there, this is heavy stuff. This is heavy-duty stuff. One that's hard for us, not in leadership positions, to fully grasp. But how hard it must be week in, week out, year after year, to be preaching God's word when I will guarantee you Roman is personally convicted when he does. He'll come up to things and go, yikes, I'm not really the best example in this particular area. And by the way, we ought to be thinking, yikes, there are areas we're not perfect. So we need to have some grace. Remember grace that was talked about earlier? We need to have grace. That I believe was in the first chapter, first chapter, first set of verses for our leaders. So let's go to the husband of one wife which really is addressing sexual purity. Now, it's interesting that Paul mentions that so early, but not surprising. The Greek structure places its emphasis on one, a one-woman man. Sexual purity has always been a major requirement of the elders and deacons and is placed near the top of Paul's list. Many want this to imply that a divorced man can't be an elder. But that can't be the proper interpretation. Do you know why? Because there are few circumstances where actually divorce is permitted. Now, we don't have time to go into all that, but I do have some examples. Uh, 1 Timothy 5, 9 through 15, Romans 7, verses 2 to 3, and 1 Corinthians 7, 39, uh, if they had a spouse with an unrepentance for fornication. There is a possibility that a man who has gone through that, that's happened in his life, that in fact he can in some circumstances be an elder or deacon in a church. The church leaders who are evaluating that need to be very careful. It's not common, but I just want to make it clear that if God forgives somebody, then in a sense we should when it's not clearly broken. So he's not talking about you have to be married. First, oh, unbelieving partners leave the marriage. That becomes another potential. Okay, some people say only married men can serve, but that's not true because Paul was an elder, and he was unmarried. His qualification doesn't primarily refer to a man's marital status. That's not what it's talking about here. It is dealing with moral issues like the state of a man's heart. If he is married, he is to be totally devoted to his wife. Married or not, he is not to be flirtatious. Any man who craves or sexually desires after numerous women is unprepared for eldership. That would be an automatic disqualification. An elder is to love, desire, and think only of his wife if he's married. 
So I'm going to get to the next one, sober-minded and self-controlled. He is not given to excess. In Greek, the word here uses a connotation of not mixing wine or without wine. The opposite of intoxication or sobriety is what it's talking about here. And in Proverbs 21, we all know this. Wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. So it can't be somebody who has trouble with self-control with, say, uh, drinking or drugs would be another. Just because marijuana is now legal in California does not necessarily, it's uh, legal for elders, okay? An elder deacon must turn down any access in life that negatively impacts clear thinking and sound judgment. That's what we want to be looking for in men. William Hendrickson, such a person lives deeply, meaning somebody wants to be an elder or a deacon. His pleasures are not primarily those of the senses, like the pleasures of a drunkard, for instance, both these of the soul. He is a lover and concern of the soul. Now, there's, there is something on um, spiritual leaders are also to be moderate and balanced in every area of their life. I don't know if this crossed your mind. It did mine. No wonder why it takes a while to select an elder. It's not like we go this week and say, hey, let's consider so-and-so. And everybody goes, yeah, let's do it. There's a lot that really needs to go into it. Spiritual leaders are to be balanced, as we said, in every area in their life, including eating, however you want to define that. Don't look at me. And to be transparent. You know, we all have to make sure it's a man who's transparent. Spiritual leader is also a person who is serious about spiritual things. In other words, you may like to joke about certain things, but when it comes to spiritual things, there's not a whole lot to be laughing about. He has an appreciation for what really matters in life. They gain an increased knowledge of man's depravity and the serious consequences that awaits the lost now and for eternity. And that's why when we have visitors here, we want to make sure that we do the best we can to reach out. If it happens to be somebody who is unsaved, God has put them in this body for us to coddle, and, and give truth to over time. And I often think, because sometimes I see some people come maybe once or twice, don't see them again, often wonder, wow, did I really do enough to, uh, to do that? And our leaders should be on the lookout for that as well. I'm making sure we're taking care of not just our body and those uh, individuals who are Christians, but those who are not. Philippians 4.8, when it comes to the mind of a leader, is a perfect one. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worth a praise, think about these things. And a church leader needs to be, I'm going to use the word, almost consumed with that kind of thinking. And by the way, we are commanded as believers to have that kind of thinking, aren't we? That's where our thinking should primarily be. Now also, a leader, church leader, in this case, 
an elder is being is mentioned, respectable or good behavior in an organized manner. Wow. The Greek word for good behavior is cause cosmios, which comes from cosmos, right? He fulfills his duties and responsibilities in an organized manner. This does not mean he needs to be totally a list freak and all those kind of things, but things do need to be done. They need to be done. For instance, I was thinking about this morning, just because we had a visitor um, sitting fairly close to me, and he was, he was the individual from the um, Baptist organization. Yeah. And I was thinking, you know, I was, I was proud of our leaders on how organized of a worship service we have. You know, we're very structured. It's organized. It's together. It is praising God. That's the focus. And I was thinking, what great leadership has made that happen? Because I'm sure you've been in some that you kind of left there and you kind of went, yikes, what did I just experience? But here we have a nice orderly manner. Uh, the opposite of cosmios is chaos. Church leaders must concentrate on completing tasks and goals in a meaningful order. They are also on the right track as they consider the interplay between human, divine, and satanic values. Now I'm going to say that one more time because this is interesting. It was to me. They are also on the right track as they consider the interplay of what's happened in the church between human, divine, and satanic values. I love Luke's organized example to Theopolis and to us. And really, it's the book of Luke. Listen to what he says at the beginning of the book of Luke. And by the way, very analytical thinker. Very analytical, very organized. It seems good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theopolis, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. What follow-up from a church leader to say, I'm giving you an organized account so that you, it will help your faith, it will help the faith of others that come to you because it's organized and structured. Are you organized and structured on how you present the gospel to somebody? Are you organized and structured that when you meet somebody that you're, you're praying to God for an opportunity to be able to share the gospel with them? That's a mature responsibility, mature Christian's responsibility, is it not? Leader or not. Now, hospitality, this is an area that's often misinterpreted. The Greek words here mean strangers and to love or show affection. Now, this is really, this, I'm, I learned here when I was reading this. What this is talking about in hospitality is, is to love strangers. Biblical love is to show kindness to strangers, not limited to our friends. We have to be very careful not to have our cliques here at church. We need to be very careful that outside the church, in our day-to-day -day life, that we are showing kindness to strangers. While having family and friends over for a meal and sleepover is a nice trait, it's not the meaning here. That's not what it's talking about here. Yet, having believers stay in our homes, it is a blessing to do that. But listen to this. 
still in Luke 14, 12 to 14. And think about this. I want you to think about how your mind works when you're entertaining at home. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers and sisters or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. That's not the part that got me. This is. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Wow. If, if I just would have written without doing some studying, that's a hospitality is opening up your home. And I'm not saying that's not a part of it, but for leaders, Paul is saying we want leaders who have these kind of traits for the people that can't pay them back. How about you? What do you do? Where do you spend your time? Who are you helping that's never going to be able to pay you back? If it's not a regular trait on what we're doing, we are not following a mature Christian's lifestyle. And a fair thing to look at, since it's listed here under elders. And by the way, one other thought, which I thought was interesting. Since we are Gentiles and have been welcomed by God into his kingdom, I mean, we're all Gentiles, right? We're welcomed into God's kingdom. How can we fail to pursue the love of strangers into our home? I'm not saying to be, get yourself in a dangerous situation, but we need to be more open, more serving. Hebrews 13, 1 through 2. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. It's not hidden in scripture. It's mentioned elsewhere. For thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Our Lord blesses us when we do that. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Why'd they have to throw that in? Jerry, I'm glad you covered this, but that's not for me. Well, don't put Gary in front of that. Put, Lord, that's not for me. Because this is God's word. So our leaders need to be excellent in many, many areas, including entertaining strangers when it becomes a possibility. Now, apt to teach. This is very important because this is a distinction between deacon and elder. Okay? Apt means skilled in teaching, quick, prompt, ready. Apt means able to respond without delay or hesitation or indicative of such ability, somebody who can do that. What happens if our pastor wakes up sick in the morning? This says here as mature Christians that at least our, our leaders that they should be able to step in, take the responsibility over. He shouldn't have to say, well, I'm going to go ahead and come there with COVID and uh, give that message because, you know. Last week we covered that women weren't to teach or exercise authority over men. So according to Moody, uh, Moody Bible Commentary, I don't know if you've seen that. That's this. If you like libraries, 
electronically or by book. This is a great book. Great, great book. And what, is, what it does, it's really concise. It's not like a lot of other ones that you have lots of stuff in it. It really hones in. And I love this when I want to get a quick overview. And I recommend that you take a look at this. Now, as we, in other words, what this book said, by the way, is that last week we covered that women were able to teach or exercise authority over men. So according to Moody Bible Commentary, men had better do it. And that responsibility falls primarily, in this case, on the elders. Doesn't free us up from that. If we have the ability to teach, we should be ready to do that too. But an elder is to have this capability. My um, oldest son, Anne's too, uh, our son is an elder back in Indiana. And he has to always have one or two um, things ready to preach if something happens with, with um, their, their pastor, they're ready to go. And we need to have that same kind of, if you notice, we're to be a backup for our leaders. And our leaders are also to be ready and able to do that. So what does this imply? It implies that the leader is continuously feeding on the word, meaning reading scripture, studying it, Study its meaning, meditating, and mastering the word. Elder has no option in this area. Must be constantly working on mastering and understanding the word. This isn't something that, well, I've been to four seminars, so I'm pretty good. Teaching is the only function that separates an elder from a deacon. An elder is to be skilled in teaching with the capability to communicate God's word and his principles and make them clear. It's a big responsibility. He must be credible along with possessing the integrity of being believable. Now, 1 Timothy 4.12 says, in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. That is what our church leaders are to be, and that's what you and I are to be before the Lord. An elder, also in 2 Timothy, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Wow, what an interesting thing. Patiently enduring evil. I get mad when I see evil. It says, no, you're to be patient. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. So even then, our church leaders are constantly, it comes back to the gospel. Everything they do, everything they do here at the church, everything that's going on here, everything that we do should be back to the gospel. Not a drunkard. Okay, Gary, we understand that. But, and we already covered some on excessive drinking earlier, didn't we? The emphasis here is the question if the elder is known as a drinker. That becomes a problem. Now remember, back then, a little bit different. They didn't have water like we do and other things and 4,000 other sodas that you want. They didn't have that. They drank a lot of wine back there, and on hot days, it was hard not to be under the influence sometimes. It was tough. But Paul's warning here to Timothy Anybody that's known as a drinker, 
No. It refers to the association of the elder, and as the man frequents bars, clubs, and other places associated with drinking with improper motives. Now, it's interesting because that when we became saved, I did a lot of business travel. A lot of times when you're at a conference, you go with other individuals into a bar. These bars were like in hotels and things like that. Anne could never understand how I could go in there. And I used to tell her, you know what, my motives are such that, number one, I'm not tempted to partake in that. But I said, you know what, number two, I don't go into places that are seedy, but it gives an opportunity to be able to talk with others, which of course hopefully leads to an opportunity of sharing the gospel. But this is talking about people who are pretty well known as being a drinker. An elder isn't to have a drinker's lifestyle, and he shouldn't jump to any conclusions because the elders select wine over juice at communion, okay? So, all right, because some people do that. Uh, let's not be too worried about that, okay? Many, many in our church can do that with a clear conscience, and that's fine with me. And it's fine with the Lord. And if some of us happen to say we prefer not to, our church leaders have decided to give us that opportunity. What a wise decision. A wise decision. Not violent. The elder is not one prone to settling things by physically violently or physically violence. He must carry circumstances of the cool mind and gentle spirit. This goes a long way with what we read in 2 Timothy 2.24 again. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. So it comes back to kindness is important. Gentle while easily pardoning human failure. This, I think, is when he talks about being gentle is interesting. Be considerate, forbearing, and gracious. Patience can be illustrated by the ability to remember good and not evil that somebody does to you. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful, as you see in 1 Corinthians 13.5. It's rude and improper to count up another person's failures towards you. And believe me, leaders need to do this because they're questioned on, again, the silliest of things. I want to talk to you about the socks you wear this morning, Roman, but we'll do that later. When we think about wrongdoings, it poisons our mind with anger. And if we keep lists, we start getting angrier and angrier. Church leader, no place than to be able to do it, and certainly no place for a mature believer. God's word provides a key and helpful principle from Psalm 103.12. As far as the east is from the west. This is, by the way, this to me is one of the most awesome verses in the Bible. Because I know you find this hard to believe, but I'm a sinner. And it says right here, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And we should pass that on to others instead of holding grudges. And our church leaders need to be very good at that. Very, very good. Not quarrelsome or violent. Simply put, someone who is not quarrelsome isn't regularly looking for an argument. You know those kind of people that look for arguments? 
uh, disagreement, war of words, squabbles, feuds, clashes, and alterations. On the other hand, you want church leaders who gently reason and respectfully use logic as peacemakers when reviewing church policies and issues. Now, I know you're going to think this is silly, but I'll guarantee you it happens, and I know for sure it does. Many men are not selected to become an elder because they're not sure that person will fit with the other elders or deacons that are on the board. And what I mean is that sometimes they're selected. You know what? That person, they're, they're more quarrelsome than they are, you know, as part of one of the group and being able to think correctly. I think that's a good area to look at and see if the reasons are if they're quarrelsome or if they're always looking for arguments, probably not a good person to have in church leadership. Now, we all know this one, not lovers of money. I'd, I'd love it if I had it, but uh, not lovers of money. This also is interesting. The term come from, comes from the lovers of silver. That was a, a Greek word, right? It was the lovers of silver. An elder deacon is not to view people as a way of getting more money, which would be corrupt. That would be absolute corruption if we go, okay, we want to get 10 more people in our church because then we'll get more money. And regardless of what, so we can get softer chairs or whatever, although we have soft chairs, but whatever it may be, that's not how you want an elder to be thinking of that. And that's not how we all should look at it. First Timothy 6, 6 through 10 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we'll be content. Well, do you really know what that means? We're to be happy with our car. We're to be happy with our home. And that doesn't mean because it's a nice home. The Lord has blessed us with a nice home, wonderful, but that's not what we're to be content in. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. We certainly don't want a leader doing that. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. We know that, right? It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That's in 1 Timothy. Living here in America, we should probably make it a regular habit of reading this part of 1 Timothy. We'll actually cover it later, not tonight. While church leaders will oversee money matters, there is a sense that church leaders are to primarily focus on the spiritual and physical needs of the people who are entrusted to them. Elders need to keep a balance of need versus financial issues when making the proper decisions. I can't wait till we have polka dots on the wall with green. That'll be so great. And so driven to do something that has nothing to do with our spiritual well-being. Yet they're warned to beware the evils that can be associated with the love of money. He rules a godly household. This one gets kind of touchy. One's household is an important consideration. Rule means to preside, have authority over, 
stand before and manage. There should be consistent biblical teaching on male headship and leadership in the home. That should just be a part of what's going on in that home. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. We'll also cover double honor and what that really means. But the fact is, it's unusual to find a home that is managed correctly. Prior to being a church leader, a man must be a strong spiritual leader in the home before he's an elder. That's just a requirement. It's not an option. I know sometimes you've looked at some kids and said, boy, I'm glad I'm not their father. But it doesn't matter if you have one of those kids or not. There still should be a sense of rule going on in the household. His wife is a believer, and the children are respectful, controlled, and disciplined. They all respect the gospel in that household. Now, there does come up a thing as we know that's God's sovereignty that saves people. So can we hold the elder responsible for that? That could get into a real interesting discussion, but that's not what I'm really mentioning here. I'm just saying that their house is ruled under biblical teaching. Love is an attribution that is de uh, demonstrated in the household. Love is just a part of who they are. There is a sense of dignity, courtesy, humility, and competence in the home. Plus, the home finances should be in order. They should not be in debt to the point to where you file bankruptcy. That would not stand to order that what Paul is calling for the leaders of the church to be doing. And the family living within the means God has given them. That's very important. A couple more, then we'll wrap it up and quit beating up potential elders. Not a recent convert. An elder is to be a mature Christian in the faith. And by the way, as I look around the room, I think we are all supposed to be mature Christians in the faith pretty much. Right? We are too. He must be more spiritual and mature than most people that he leads. So in other words, as you evaluate our church, you're looking for leaders, it needs to be somebody who can lead them and has something to offer everybody in spiritual growth. Doesn't mean they have to be the smartest or the brightest bulb on the tree, but they do need to be certainly uh, somebody who can be respected for leadership. He can't be clouded with pride, and this is something that's really important. James 4, 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud. Who does? God does. But gives grace to the humble. The point here is not to place a specific age requirement when we talk about a new convert, but to remind us that the evaluation process is rugged. And the costs are high when church leaders are selected too hastily. That becomes a real problem within a church. The condemnation of the devil, his condemnation was a demotion from a high position because of pride. God will do the same to any man whose thinking gets clouded with pride and cloudy thinking about their elder position after a quick and undeserved rise to spiritual leadership. When I was reading through that, I thought, wow. Our church leaders stand if they let pride get in the way 
can get the same condemnation like Satan did. Is vicious. Well thought of by outsiders. An elder must have a good internal character and a good external reputation or testimony. He must be known as somebody with integrity, love, kindness, generosity, and a goodness. A man of character. Church leader. He must not bring disgrace to our Lord or church due to his sin. Oh, we all have stories where we've seen that. His godly character is a witness for and to Christ. So to the Israelites, this is out of Romans 2.24. This is wrapping that up. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Yikes. Yikes. Our leaders cannot blaspheme the name of God. It cannot be somebody who is prone to maybe blaspheme our God. And can you imagine you in your mature, mature walk? Do you blaspheme God in some ways? Also, Philippians 2.15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Wow, that's 2022. That's where we live, a crooked and twisted generation, right? Among whom you shine as lights in the world. We are to be oddballs. Our leaders are to be oddballs. They don't follow the trends. It's not how they live. They live according to God's word. They are fanatics living to God's word. Our leaders, we want leaders who are fanatical. That's the kind of leaders we want to have. Yet they do it in all of the things we've talked about this evening in an organized manner, in a respectful manner to those they lead, respectful manner to whoever they come in contact with. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That should be our reputation with unbelievers. So that's 1 Colossians 4, 5 through 6. Excuse me, uh, Colossians 4. I have one in front of Colossians. Well, it is. It's 1 Colossians. It's the only one there is. So finally, for us, you and me, whether we desire leadership or not, there's really two things. When we're selecting leaders, keep these things in mind. Right? And secondly, as a mature Christian, you keep these things in mind for you. The future of Ranchview Baptist Church is in the Lord's hands. He's going to build his church. And he wants to depend on the quality of our leaders in each one of us to be a part of that. So do your part looking for leaders, supporting if leaders are selected, and also you becoming more of a mature leader yourself, meaning a mature Christian, so that you can be an example to others. Shall we pray?
Our Father God, we do thank you for the clear direction that Paul gave to Timothy and how we are able to be able to take that and bring it to the year 2022 and beyond. Your guidelines don't change. They don't change with the culture. They don't change with trying to be modern, but they, they stay constant to bringing you glory. Father God, I would just ask that in any activities we have when it comes to dealing with our leaders, when it comes to selecting leaders, and when it also has to do with our own maturity, that we first turn to you and the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can be all that we can be thanks to you and not thanks to our own capabilities. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. There is one more book. Um, you can tell how long I've had this. The Master's Plan for the Church. And I don't know. I have books with John MacArthur where he has like black hair. So, you know, it's... Uh, but this is the Master's Plan for the Church. Goes through... Uh, one, one of the chapters here goes through a lot of what we discussed here today. If you'd like to dig into it a little bit more with you, it's a great, great book. All three books that I mentioned uh, today, if you're serious and want to know about leadership, they're good, good examples. Thank you all.